Elaine, I had the most horrible dream. It was absolutely the worst. Go on then. So I dreamt that we missed a week of tall cardboard. <laughs> and then and then we put out this little like little episode that said, oh no, we'll be back next week. And then we had to miss that one as well. And I was just sweating and stressed and nervous and anxious, thinking, how how could this have happened? And I just woke up and I was like, all right, there was it was all just a dream, completely fine, normal, back to schedule, tall cardboard episodes, as if nothing happened. I don't wanna upset you. You can't but... upset me because good news, it's everything's fine. But that really did happen. What do you mean that really did we happen? really did miss... That was just my dream. An n- episode. N- no, we didn't. It's fine. I was listening to a podcast earlier and they said, oh, aren't dreams boring when someone else tells you about them? But I really like hearing what other people dream about. I'm really struggling not to invoke that song. Nobody cares about your dreams. Yeah, mm. yeah. See, I do, though. I do care what you dreamt about. Yeah, I don't. I I, I find it really boring because it's not real. And it's like listening. It's like listening to AI. It's like listening to some gibberish that a computer came up with and not a real human brain. Did you not even like my dream where I uh, dreamt no. that I was... Oh. <laughs> Sorry. No. But I was catching a spy who was a nun. Back back to the no? AI thing. Okay, never mind then. Welcome to Talk Cardboard, a podcast about board games and everything adjacent with your NPISters, Elaine and Efka. On today's show, in a slight change to the build schedule, we'll be talking about Next Station London, Sky Mines and Marquee. But don't worry, our full shake of Undaunted Battle of Britain is coming in the next episode. First, though, an extremely, extremely important email. (sighs) So we had an email from Greg, who was another supporter of you and your square being a rectangle thing. Right, okay. (sighs) But uh, they also did call a non-square rectangle an oblong. And I find the word oblong... One of the most horrible words in the English language. So I'm going to disregard whatever they've said anyway, honestly. Is that why you're sighing? Just because of the because they put in the word oblong? No, because people keep writing in to say, yeah, Efka's right. I know Efka's right. Efka's all right. always All right, right. Don't tell people off for writing in, please. Everyone who writes in, almost everyone who writes in is a great person. I agree with that. But does it have to be about how you're right and I was wrong? That's what I object to. But but, but we have had some really nice emails about uh, crispy crepes and the love for them. Joseph says, Hi, I'm also a big fan of sweet crispy bread related items. Thank you, Joseph. I, I think everyone... Mm-hmm. is a fan of crispy bread-related items. In Our dog way. certainly is. Uh, they also say, as a child, my mother would make what she called elephant ears, which is just a wheat tortilla slathered in butter with cinnamon sugar sprinkled on the top. Throw it all in the oven until the tortilla is crispy and voila, somewhat similar to a churro in flavour. And Targaf says, baked pancake, not really the same conceptually, but isn't that basically what Shakotis is? Someone brought up Shakotis. Uh-huh. Fantastic. Okay, so if you want to know what Shakotis is, there's a traveling ch- show with Joe Lysett, who's a British comedian. Um, I, th- I think it's related to the Traveling Man franchise, some some sort of 
one of the offshoots because there's many there's not just one traveling man right. is there right no. there's there's multiple hosts of that show anyway so it's it's a pretty i think it's on channel four mm-hmm. um so uh it, it's it's one of those in- english person goes abroad and sees abroad things types of shows uh, i i don't watch them but i I watched the lithuania one because you know he went to lithuania with sarah Millican uh to Vilnius specifically I think and and then one of the things he did was had shakotis I remember they tried some local food and there was one bit where they just went uh, 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 and there was another bit where like they had some and I can't remember what what which of the local dishes it was but they had some and then he literally got away uh was that the gira no. i think it was maybe gira which is a fermented bread drink that i love you love and you're the I only do. foreign person that i found that actually likes it which is i i guess i would liken it to maybe sarsaparilla but without any of the mouthwash flavor and it's nothing like sarsaparilla but it's 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 in the same ballpark area i think of drinks where like if you grew up with this you will love it oh i see and it, like if, iron brew as well yeah maybe maybe, yeah. maybe right uh so and and obviously the stuff you can get here like is not the same as home brewed because home brewed is much better you know you want the home brewed stuff um it's it's a very traditional drink i think they cut away from that but another traditional lithuanian dish is shakotis which is a type of cake uh which is um basically it's a spit roast cake right uh where they lather the batter on the spit roast as it turns and then it it because it drips it creates these sort of stalagmites or stalactites which is i guess both in this case right because they're depending on the orientation they're either hanging up or hanging down well, they go out sideways like a christmas tree yeah like it looks like a, a like a yellow christmas tree of cake that's what it looks like and it's lovely it is really delicious it is just buttery and sugary and kind of soft you want to have it fresh and it's not a baked good you can make at home like croissants right you can if you really want to uh, uh some baking knowledge here uh if you really want to you can make them at home it's a faff it takes a lot of effort some skill right but very much doable you know uh stuff like bagels i've made at home you know myself they were good bagels they were proper bagels you know i watched a lot of recipes uh uh from people who i think know what they're talking about when it comes to bagels i'm sorry for this bagel tangent um but yeah, basically, this, this is stuff that's doable. I, I, the reason I'm saying watch that Joe Lysett episode of Traveling Man is because it shows you how Shakotis is made. And you will very quickly realize, oh, I can't make this at home. They also made it on French Bake Off. Did uh, they? Yeah. I feel sorry for the French Bake so Off contestants. Kind of, kind of see how it's made on there as well. Yeah, but many of the things they make on Bake Off is like... Yeah, I I could probably do that myself. I don't see like how without special equipment you're going to oh, make. Oh, they had spits well, and everything. they'd all did, yeah. had to go outside. And they yeah. were like, what is this? <laughs> no, yeah, you have to make this outside. You can't you can't do it in the house. And also, Windstorm H says had to look up what shakotis is, and now I want one. When I heard the crispy pan cake part, I was thinking either a pizzella if we're talking more of a crepe texture or taiyaki if it's more a cake-like batter. Now I've had, so I've had most of these. I've had uh, taiyaki, I've had shakotis, uh, I've not had elephant's ears though, and I've not had pizzella. I've, I've, um, I've not had any of the ones that are not shakotis. 
I, I don't even know what the Aki or you have. It's the fish, is. the fish-shaped uh, pancake-like thing with like red bean filling or something. And we had it in London in in uh, Chinatown. Okay, I do not. I have no memory of no. it. <laughs> I don't like red bean paste. You don't. No, yeah. So true. it's not. It's not a thing that I'm gonna go for. I think for those who are because this is a podcast for those who want to type in Shakotis into their browser, just type in S A K O T I S. So I need to look at all these other these other baked crappy goods. Yeah, now, I think I, I was also thinking of um, what's the one the Dutch one that you put on a coffee? Stroopwafel. Yes, thank you, Stroopwafel. I, I like those as well, and that's a similar kind of thing. It's, it seems like quite a lot of places have something sort of crispy, battery mm-hmm. type thing, mm-hmm. uh, and I think I need to explore more about all these different types of ones. In Lithuania, we also have these like uh, tubes that are made out of thin waffle batter that are wrapped around yeah, like as it's too. hot. It, like, it's, it's like hardens, it's a tube, it's got filling inside, it's delicious. You get them in like Lidl's. Do you really? Yeah. Oh no, not the tiny, it's like it's like that big. It's oh. big as a... Uh, Efka is uh, showing the size of about a Christmas cracker size Yes, thing. yes, maybe thinner than a Christmas... Well, yeah, like a, if it's a smaller Christmas cracker. Yeah, it's that big, it's proper waffle batter, but it's like oh, shaped, shaped into a tube. And uh, you would get them by the seaside at summer. If they were bad, they would have filling like on one so- end on- and the other and then it's just hollow in the middle oh, no. and then you bite in and you go got the swiss one <laughs> it's also um cannoli yeah like those yeah, two. yeah yeah uh, yeah cannoli. I, think yeah i do like a crispy thing so mm. i think i need to expand my knowledge of crispy battery things hey elaine can mm. you remind me something what what is this podcast about oh uh, well <laughs> uh, it's about crispy battery crep things okay I thought it was about board games. You know, Efka, you are right. But thank you so much for everyone that wrote in about crispy pancake things and about squares. Uh, and if you have anything to say to us, Elaine at nopunincluded.com. But first, shall we talk about Next Station London? Do do. Next Station London comes from publisher Blue Orange by designer Matthew Dunstan and artist Maxine Morin. Disclaimer, uh, designer Matthew Dunstan is an acquaintance. Uh, He stayed over at our house. Helped us move a sofa up the stairs. Played with our dog, whom uh, I don't think he had the greatest penchant for. Um, well, she's a little snot sometimes, so... Yeah, I, I just don't think Matthew was a dog person. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to give that away on the podcast. Anyway, um, Next Station London is a game that was nominated for Spiel des Jahres, and it is in the genre of rolling rights. So if you're not familiar, you, you randomize something, maybe dice, maybe card draw, uh, and then you draw something on your sheet... And hopefully by the end of the game, that will score you points. That's the genre we're working in. Next Station London, I don't know why I tutooed, is not about trains. It's about the metro. It's about building metro lines. The city needs to redesign the London underground. Never happening. Total fantasy land. But anyway, let's move on from that idea. And uh, they need to redesign it. And they commission a bunch of people, that's you, the ones that are playing, to design the best new layout uh, and so the, you you draw that new layout, the proposed layout, and one of you who scores the most points is going to win and is going to shape the un, the face of London's underground for years to come. 
That's the premise. I mean, I'll tell you what, they're never going to put me in charge of that. My lines were all over the place. Let's be honest. They're never going to put anyone in charge of that. There's, 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 there's not a chance that they're building new lines That's or redesigning not true. They, they just did the Elizabeth line. Did they now? As part of the underground, yeah. Okay, well. Which goes to Slough and beyond. So there's a, there's a tube that goes to Slough now? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's working operational? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, I haven't been to London in a while. No. Anyway, uh, still a fantasy idea in my book. Uh, But yeah, so it's cute. I really like this. Uh, But I do have some caveats. Um, I understand why I was nominated for Spiel des Jahres. Uh, It's it's totally one of these games that I think are just sort of like this well-rounded entry where I don't think it breaks any new ground within board games or within the genre of roll and rides or flip and rides as in, in, in this case. Um, but it's, it's nice. It's got a very experiential feel to it. Um, one of the cool twists is that there are four colored pencils in the box. So there's a pink one, a green one, a blue one, well, cyan, and then uh really dark blue is that is that the colors is that no it's a black one there's Mm. there's the northern line yeah we said it was a black but it's not it's really dark blue it's like purple dark purple okay i believe you i'm not i'm you know okay i i i can see that there is a shade of not quite black but to me it's quite a black pencil Anyway, so yeah, four colored pencils, right? Mm-hmm. And there are four rounds in the game. So each round you'll have one pencil in front of you. That will be the line that you are drawing. It has the starting spot where you have to go from uh, and and then you have to keep continuing that line. You can continue it in either direction, right? But like you're sort of restricted to where you start from. And then once you start from somewhere, you effectively have two exits at any point of the game but every every, and those are the stations but every station has one of the four playstation symbols on it so it has the triangle it has the square it has the circle and then for some reason maybe they didn't want to get sued by playstation they replaced the x with like a pentagon right and um and so uh you flip a card and that card's gonna be like it's a triangle. So that means that you need to draw from one of your two stations that your line is ending on further out towards a triangle. Uh, any any triangle, as long as you can reach it across the line, not crossing anything, meaning not crossing another station or not crossing a line that goes through it, right? So as you can imagine, at the start of the game, it's quite free. Draw wherever you like, you know? It, it doesn't matter. Most of the time, you're going to get to draw your line. But then, when the round ends, you have to swap pencils, right? Uh, and you get the other player's pencil. And in, in, in a two-player game, like, there are pencils that are just placed to the side who are no ones, but they still rotate, like, as if they would in a four-player game, let's say. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so you're suddenly drawing a line of a different color, uh, and it can't cross the line of, of that other color that you've already drawn, but it can meet with the stations that the other line already crossed, and you actually want to do that, because here's the really cool experiential bit. Like, if you think about traveling on the underground, you want the lines to connect because you want to be able to change over to efficiently get from place to place in London. It's it's a big city. You know, there are many underground lines and 
usually they don't get you where you want to go. But, you know, if you're in St. Pancras and you need to get to Heathrow, you're probably going to take the Piccadilly line to, like, uh, Piccadilly Circus. And then, no, wait. This is, no, you just take the Piccadilly line. Because the Piccadilly go- line goes all the way to Heathrow, doesn't it? Just ignore me. It doesn't matter. Like, you get the idea, right? Like, you'll get to somewhere and then if you'll change the over. If you're circle and yeah. you want to get on the district, you need to stop somewhere and change yeah no here here, yeah here's a better example right if you're if you're in st pancras and you want to go to wait no i think if if you're in paddington yes uh, you can change onto the bakerloo or the circle or the district yeah i don't then maybe there's others i I don't know probably but is that what you mean yeah maybe i don't yeah exactly you could take the circle to paddington yeah and change onto the bakerloo to go somewhere else We've lost everyone. I'm sorry. <laughs> We've absolutely lost everyone. Um, You've lost me, I think. I, I think so. Anyway, the point being, you want you want intersecting lines in stations, but they can't cross through each other if they're not on stations. Because that'd be dangerous. Because that would be very, very dangerous. Yeah. So, so that's kind of like the puzzle and the gimmick of the game. You're constantly drawing outwards. And there's nice little touches like... Um, so the way each round functions is that there are there's an 11 card deck. Uh, five of them are red, six of them are blue. They're functionally identical. There's two of each card. Um, so you get one card one card in red and in blue of each symbol. Then you get one card in red and blue that's a joker, means pick any symbol, go anywhere you like. And then there's one card in blue that signifies that this turn you're going to have a branching off station so your line can split now into two directions which is incredibly versatile and then the map is also segmented into these like areas uh, and your score for that line will depend on how many areas uh, it crosses through but also it wants to focus on one area because you'll take the number of stations that you visited in that area and then you'll multiply these two numbers together so you want both to cross as many areas as possible and also focus on one area for that maximum point hit, right? It's a nice puzzle, and it's very experiential and very enjoyable. How did you feel about the game? You haven't mentioned the um, points of interest. Yes, there are tourist spots. There are tourist spots where you want to try and get your line to go through so that the tourists get yeah. delivered to. I mean, they're not named. No. We just made we, up. We, no, I think we identified a lot of them. There we was... said one of them was Croydon. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah, because really you said, spot. what are these? I said, well, that's probably London Bridge. Yeah. That's probably, you know, like uh, like the very, like Leicester Square or Piccadilly Circus or something like that. And then one of them. <laughs> just couldn't figure out what it was I just it's probably croydon because it's sort of a big Croy- tourist spot yeah in, in in the destination of croydon i i don't know what it could have been maybe it's uh maybe it's crystal palace you know the park that's not no a- it's too south it's that's more east yeah yeah with the dinosaurs yeah that's a recommendation if ever i've given one um, I really like this game. I, it reminded me a bit of Let's Make a Bus Route or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, where you're kind of building a network mm-hmm. piecemeal. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed, like you said, how the pencils turned around. So it wasn't like you start and then you just have to keep going. You start complete a bit. And then you restart and have to complete that. But bearing in mind what you've already done, mm. like you said, you can't go over, but you do want to connect them. And it was 
I think I found it more thinky than than you did. Mm. Um, it tickled my brain uh, more than it did yours, I think, because I was desperately trying to get more of the stations to connect with the line, different lines to get them more points. Uh, and I was desperately trying to go through the tourist spots. And sometimes I just couldn't do it. Uh, and I would back myself into a... I'd had these stupid lines that kind of went up and th off this way and down this... Like, no one would ever take those lines. But overall, I've, I've found it to be quite a difficult puzzle. It doesn't seem like it's going to be a difficult puzzle. Flip a card, draw a line. doesn't seem like mm, a difficult mm. puzzle. But when it came to it, I was like, please, just give me a second. I'm just trying to think about where I, where I can <laughs> optimise my line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over and over again. Yeah. So, there was a lot to it, I think. I, I don't disagree. I think it's incredible how much the game manages to squeeze out out of this simple idea. But my favorite moment was definitely, like, if you're into, like, things like the tube map, which I guess is iconic by now, right? You look at Next Station London at the end of the game, and then if you did well, the lines will look sensible. And, and in relation to London as well, you will look at it and go, yeah, th this is probably like something that makes sense within the city. You had quite a good one, didn't I, you? Yeah, I found that incredibly satisfying. It was a really good moment. And I think, I think if you like that, you know, that iconic map, you've traveled on the London underground and enjoyed the I really like. I I really want to go to the transport museum, the London yeah. Transport Museum. I've never been there, despite all the times we've been to London. I've never been there, and I really, really want to go there because I think it looks so neat. Mm -hmm. Like it's got the history of it, and it's got like a train and like an old carriage in there. Oh, it looks no, so yeah, neat. No, yeah. I mean, I was trying. I'm sorry. Like I couldn't say that with a straight face because I, I agree with you. Like stuff like that is really neat. Like uh, I I find that very interesting, but. When I said, like, if you enjoy the experience of traveling on the under, oh, no, one, no, no, no one enjoys the experience of traveling on the underground, right? It is, it is cool that it exists and what it does, but there are also many negatives that that it's are hot. often. It's hot. It's full of people. It's annoying. They do uh, let dogs on though. Yeah, so. no, that's good. Yeah, there's no internet, so you can't even be on your phone. Uh, well, that's not quite true. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes they do. Have sometimes internet. they do that. Have we that live now. in the future now. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been to London, anyway. So, uh, but yeah, it, I, I found experientially it, it to be a, a really neat game. I, as a roll and write, I mean, okay. Here's the thing, right? Like, if you're not a fan of Roll and Rights, you're not going to enjoy or this, first of all. Yeah, yeah. There's, just, there's nothing that it does that breaks the ground, apart from it being, a I think, a little bit more social if you're all into the theme, right? Um, but there is that element of, like, each game feeling a little bit like you're, you're treading the same ground, right? Uh, I like my roll and writes uh, often where like they they have a good sense of score attack. So one of the one of the best ones I think um, is is super skill is super skill pinball forcade because the scores in that vary so much and things will happen drastically differently between each game and you feel like this experience was different from a previous experience. There are also games like Railroading Challenge, which I think are designed with that like score attack very much in mind. I don't think it's perfect in that regard because it is very dice dependent. 
whether you can get a good score or not. Again, don't question me on that. Second in the world on railroading Challenge Forest, right? So I know what I'm talking about. I understand that game probably better than most people, right? Um, and and it is it is satisfying to me uh, in terms of score attack, but it is very like luck reliant. But it's still there. It's like you can have a good game, you can have a bad game, you can sort of gauge things, right? And here there are like things. So the red cards, for example, could make a round end early because if you draw all five red cards the round that's it that's the last card the round stops and because there are 11 cards but only 10 of those are destinations you will have between um five and ten stations that you visit each round right um so you know it's it's gonna be a little different but overall it's you know it, it feels like you're treading over the same kind of point scores the same same questions same answers you know do i draw a line there do i draw it's i don't think it has the longevity of a roll and write game that some roll and write games do but as something to bring out to people who are not necessarily like super into board games but wouldn't mind the idea of like flipping and drawing and hey we're making a cool station and we can share it and have a look at it and if they're familiar with london they'll be like that makes sense or that is ludicrous that would never happen you know for those moments i think this game is really cool i think i would add it to the uh way to way to there's a board game in my cornflakes uh, category, honestly, because I I could see me getting this out in the morning, you know, over coffee, yeah, or or bringing it out at a time when you haven't got a lot of time to play a game and you just want a kind of filler. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's perfect for that, and and the box is is quite small as well, so it's one you could chuck in a bag and you know, and the the footprint of the game isn't massive either, mm. so. I think it would fill that gap pretty well. Here's my question. So a couple of things that we need to mention uh, that we haven't mentioned. There are a couple of modules in the game. Um, So uh, one of them is pencil powers, where each pencil gets a superpower, and you get to use that superpower once around. So for example, like draw a second station with the same symbol that's on the card and you're like cool but you can only use that once per round and of course because the pencils migrate every round every round you get a new different ability and like based on the 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 abilities tied to the pencil rather than the person so i think that's quite nice uh there's also like shared community goals which you know i think that's maybe the thing that gives gives the game legs but there's not that many community goals to make it feel like super distinct or whatnot you know i i I feel like just maybe needs a bit more zhuzh for me i think you're right it's it's probably a game that maybe doesn't have a lot of like a huge amount of replayability Mm. if you're like you're not going to play it over and over and over and over again Mm. but i think if you pop it out every so often you'll have a good time with it yes and like i said again experientially fantastic uh one question I have is, how good is the German rulebook? I don't speak German, but I know that one of the big criterias uh, for Spiel des Jahres is the quality of the rulebook. And oftentimes that's a big decider on whether they are going to get the nomination or not. Um, something happened this year. Uh, the two titles that we have tried that have been nominated for Spiel and Kenner Spiel is uh, Next Station London and Planet Unknown. In English, both of those rule books are not good. Just it is way over explained. Uh, and also simultaneously, 
in an annoying manner where it'll say, well, here's the round sequence. So you do step one, step step two, and then step two, there's this whole side bit. What, you know, don't read it now. Uh, read step three and four that don't make sense because you haven't got the context of what step two is. Step two is in a whole different side. What, why, why is it like this? Anyway, I, this is a minor gripe, you know, but the English rule book is just not good. I don't know if the German one is or isn't, but I did not have a good experience with that. Um, and I wish it was simpler and clearer. It did cover all the rules, though. Like, all, all, all the questions I had were answered. So that's actually a bonus. Let's move from a game with not a great rule book to a game with a brilliant rule book. I am talking about Sky Mines, which comes from publisher Deep Print Games by designers Victor Kobilke, Alexander Pfister, and with artist Javier Gonzalez Cava. Well, Sky Mines is really good. What can I say? It is unsurprisingly good because it's based off of a design uh, that Alexander Pfister has already published under a different title and different theming we'll get to that in a little bit uh but it's a tried and true and tested game that was good the first time round and is better the second time round um sky mines is about the colonization of the moon or the asteroid belt uh depending on which side of the board you play on and it features some fun things like uh cryptocurrency which is very in vogue right now. No no one thinks badly about cryptocurrency at all. It didn't age poorly. What are you all talking about? Uh, so, you know, there is all that. Moon FTs and whatnot. What's, uh, what's a moon FT? It's like an NFT, but... but, but on in, the moon? On the moon, oh. yeah. Um, anywho. Moon fungible token. Yeah, anywho. I don't really know how to speak about uh, Skymines apart from like i i enjoyed it the first time round and we picked it up last year and it's just sort of when it came out and, and it just sort of sat on the shelf because we were like well it's just mombasa you know like uh and and we didn't get back to it and then we eventually got got around to taking it off the shelf and going yeah we should cover this on podcast you know cuz you know i remember the initial game aside from all the you know other stuff um quite fondly uh and then we played it and your immediate reaction elaine was also this game is great right yeah and the thing is so when we played mombasa it was a long time ago right and i feel like this game is smoother than mombasa but that might be my own memory of mombasa because because we played it such a long time ago and I hadn't played as many games at that point, mm. maybe I was just more receptive to how this game functions than I was initially. Do you understand what I mean? I think maybe that, but also maybe, and this is the big caveat, right? This is very on the heavy side, right? Because actually the rules, I'm such a cliche the rules aren't that complicated. They are. They are complicated. Like, don't don't read into that. But but they're not, like, comparatively to some of the games I've played, like, you know, the Vita Lacerda Affair and stuff like that. You know, this is more digestible, right? But the nuances of the rules are just... Bleh, you know, uh, another popular title by Alexander Pista is Great Western Trail, and that had a long-lasting legacy, uh, as one of the one of the Eurogame greats, you know, um, 
I think the rules are on par with with this, but there's something about Great Western Trail that feels more tangible, and there's something about this that's just a little bit more abstract, and and I think therefore maybe just a little harder to grok because because some of them into some of the mechanisms are quite punishing if you make a mistake, and um, and so it's a game that requires a lot of forethinking and a lot of foreplanning. So it's not just about coming to terms with all these systems, but also coming to terms with them in such a way where you can make really complex plans for future turns and how your current actions impact your possibilities for your future actions. There is just a lot of mental load that happens in this game uh, and you feel exhausted when you are done with it. Uh, It is not light fair. And if you're not quite used to board games and you're listening to me and Elaine being, oh, like, we really like this. This is really good. You know, this maybe shouldn't be your next purchase because there's just quite a few things happening. When I looked, when I opened the rule book, um, I went, nope, (laughs) and ran away from it Uh uh, because it, it was just so dense and I thought, I don't know how I'm ever going to get my head around how this game works. Mm. Because I don't remember how to play Mombasa. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that would have helped. I don't know. But I don't remember that. So I was starting from afresh. Yeah. Uh, but I watched part of a playthrough of mm-hmm. it uh, on, YouTube, on the YouTubes. Uh, and that did help. And when I did finally steal myself for this rule book. And all these words that were in the rule book, it was so good. It had such good examples. It was so clear. It was so well laid out. It had sections for different things. And it's easy to find the information for uh, to refer to if during the game you're like, oh, I can't remember quite how this works. It's easy to find the bit you want. It has uh, the explanation for every uh, tile in the game. It, it's just so good and so, so well put together uh, that actually it wasn't such a hurdle that I thought it was going to be. Yeah, uh, rules-wise, our our experience of playing it was quite smooth, actually. Mm. You know, decision-wise, it was, <laughs> a, you know, tough nut to crack. But but rules-wise, it was it was quite smooth going. And actually, that was very, very pleasing. And it made it it made it a lot more enjoyable and, and a game that I wanted to return to. So a little bit about what you do and, and what happens in the game. So the idea is that you're colonizing the moon, yay. Um, and uh, you're, you don't play like it's a company. because okay, no one owns the moon, right? Yeah. Um, you're not playing like a company, you're playing an individual, but there are four comp- cor- companies or corporations and each of those have share tracks and uh, you're going to be manipulating the amount of shares you have in each company as the game progresses. And then one of, like, these companies are going to be worth different things at the end of the game based on also how much you've expanded with those companies onto the map of the moon or the asteroid belt based on which side you're playing with, right? So there's, like, a a, a sort of a, a balance to be found there, how much you devote your time towards acquiring shares and moving a lot on moving up on these share tracks uh, and how much time you devote towards expanding these companies because the twist is that each player can expand with any of the companies onto the map and put outposts and, you know, secure territories. And and also then you can, you know, invest yourself into any company and you can split your investment however much you like between all these companies, right? So each game is highly dependent on how players engage with it 
and 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 how they approach this puzzle and where they put their efforts in. And part of the game is to figure out which way which way the pendulum is swinging so that you can be on the right side of that swing. And considering that the action selection system is quite complex, you know, threading that needle is is a difficult task and part of the joy of the experience of playing. Now, more about how you actually do things. So this is this is an Alexander Fister mechanism that has appeared in future games like Blackout Hong Kong, although in slightly different form. But the gist is that each round you will play three cards uh, face down and then simultaneously reveal them with other players. Now, these cards will enable you to do different actions. Um, but then they have to be distributed into these piles at the top of the player board. So you play them to the bottom and then the round ends, you've used them and then each has to go to a different pile above. But before they go to the different pile, you take one of these piles back. So there's a kind of card circulation mechanism that always means that, like, if you had a good hand of cards and you just sort of played them, right, and you had a good turn, these cards are probably not going to repeat in the same instance ever again because they're all going to different sections uh, and you might get one back next round. But again, what other cards is it tied to? Maybe you've created a junk pile, but you know, you're running out of cards. Suddenly you need to take all of that junk back just to have enough cards to play because you haven't bought enough new cards. There, there are a lot of questions that you need to answer just by taking these actions. But these questions also influence what you'll be able to do on the turn. And certain cards are tied to certain actions but also those certain actions might be tied to certain investments that you've made towards one of the share tracks or the companies that you've expanded with. Uh, and the cards themselves, are, you know, they're pretty simple. They're like, well, you've played some energy cards. Cool. Energy will let you put out outposts onto the map from one of the companies. Uh, and, you know, you played some resource cards. Okay, resources will let you buy uh, some of the some of the um, uh, other, other new cards that are coming out. Um but there's also other like little quirks. You also have these little action pawns. And uh, there are spaces that, especially in the early rounds of the game, you'll, you'll all be immediately going, when you reveal the cards, okay, what cards have you revealed? What cards have I revealed? And then there's the, the, the spaces that you can take as an action. And you want to go first because it's one action at a time. Because it's like, if I have a majority of these types of cards, then I get to move up for free on a certain company track. And based on what card that is, it's tied to a specific company. So again, when you're playing a card, you're not just determining what action you can do. You're also navigating these interests and, and comparing them to what other people are doing. So there's a nice little point of intersection with, with what other players are trying to achieve and what you're trying to achieve. And this action selection mechanism that is complex and has a lot of nuance but isn't so convoluted that you can't navigate it through it. There is a huge amount of flexibility within different actions as well. Mm. I, the fact that you can discard certain cards to get a bonus and then you can buy new cards. So like you said about the junk pile, and it made me laugh because I did have a junk pile at one point. <laughs> I was like, ah, whatever, I'd put those in there. I, I just won't bother. But at one point, I needed to take those cards back, you know, because yeah, yeah. I had nothing in my hand. Because three rounds ago, you did not have the foresight what no, exactly I it didn't. is you're going to need. Yeah, No, I didn't. Absolutely mm. not. 
Um, so I did have a kind of a junk pile, but then I was working up like, okay, how do I buy these new cards? How do I get rid of the cards that maybe only give me one resource rather than two resources or even three resources? Um, so there is a, a huge amount of flexibility and how you spend your energy and how you spend your resources as well. Uh, because if you want, instead of buying something with your resources, you can just move up one of the share tracks and, I didn't give that enough credit to begin mm. with. I was like, okay, well, that's the thing you do if you can't quite afford a card or, or whatever, or you don't know yeah, which yeah, yeah. card to buy or there's not a card out there that you that you want. But actually, that is such an important part of the game uh-huh. because it means... Because it's quite hard to move up those tracks. Yeah. Or it can be because... There is a balance, uh, like you were saying, there is some interaction between the, the players because you're, mm. you're watching what the other person is putting out. Which company are they building up? And in the first game that we played, I was like, okay, well, that's your company. Then you carry on doing that one. Yeah. And then, you know, three quarters of the way through, I thought, oh, no, I need to get in on this. But it was too late for me by yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I couldn't. There is a way that you can put out a different company and mm. take off um buildings from another company but it was too late for me to get in on your company so I ended up trying to build up this other company and it was just a disaster so there is a balance between working out what the other player is doing and kind of trying to get in on what they're doing Mm. but also maybe focusing on your own company a little bit uh, it's particularly in a two-player game. I think probably in a four-player game, it would be it'd be much more competitive for the space. Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. But in a two-player game, you know, you think, okay, well, if I build up my own track and do it really well, not my own track, you know what I mean? Yeah. If but- I focus on a company that the other player is not focusing on, maybe I can get something that they're not going to get at the end of the mm. game from this. And whether that works or not is a mystery honestly it depends what the other player is thinking at the time and you don't know i think it's very indicative that the first time we played sky mines my score uh so i I won handily my score was really quite high and your score was like much lower right but in subsequent plays like our scores sort of mine was much lower compared to my like first game score and yours much was much higher and they were much closer to each other but like the fact that you've done well it meant that you brought my score down right so there's a limited i think like when when you get you know more acquainted with the game and more familiar with you know how how you have to sort of weave and bob around it uh you you create a lot less space in the game for the other people to exploit these systems towards their own benefit. And then it becomes a really, really hot-headed kind of competitive experience. Because whilst a lot of this game, like many modern Euro games that are not in the vein of like El Grande or Iwari or Catan, you know, they're, they're a lot more, you know, like individual and I'm, I'm doing my own thing. It is incredible how much Skyminds manages to blend this idea of uh, a Euro game that is mostly individual and is non-confrontational, but so incredibly involved mechanically with what everyone else is doing that it starts to lean closer like towards brass than, than say, something like, you know... um, Kanban or whatnot, where it's like Kanban is just very individualistic. You have to pay attention to what others are doing, but it's, 
you know, it's not imperative towards you. There are inter- in interjecting systems, but they don't mean as much as they do in SkyMinds. Right, because the action spaces are individual. So if you put your pip on an action mm. space, it blocks me from doing it. Yeah. If you take one of the uh, tiles... That mm-hmm. stops me from taking it because a new one will come out. And I, and there were so many times in this game where I was like, please don't do this thing, please don't do this <laughs> thing. And sometimes you did and sometimes you yeah, didn't because yeah, that yeah. is the nature of the game. Uh, and it's the sequencing of your actions as well is so important. And particularly in our first game, I wasn't very good at sequencing correctly. So I would do something and then I would realise oh no, I needed that to do something else first, Mm. right? Because a lot of cards, when you use them, they get flipped over, right? But a lot of cards check what other cards you have played that round. So when you put out your cards, you have to be not only ready to be like, I have this that I need for that card and this that I need for that card, but you also need to figure out which sequence you flip them in because that matters a lot, right? Ah, there's so many nuances in this game. Right, like I wanted to expand the yellow company, but I also, so I would need to flip my energy. I would need to spend the energy Mm. and flip it. But I also needed that energy in order to move up the technology track where you put tiles down and they check to see if you've played cards with those symbols on them. So I needed to have done that first, but I wanted to be able to cover more of those technology tiles. So I wanted to do something else first so that I could play more, so that I could... Ah, it was just so many things that I wanted to do right now. I know. And I couldn't. Uh, Just the one thing I'll add is that there are very many fine design elements that you notice when you play like for example the way the card decks are constructed in terms of what cards come out and when and why that matters and what that does where you where you observe this like real design fine tuning like where you basically almost watching craftsmanship as you play and i think that's incredibly satisfying kudos to alexander fister on bringing back this design that has seemingly stood the test of time um just one bit i want to pivot to predictably now that you mentioned the technology track and the reason you weren't sure whether it's called the technology or whatever it's called is because we remember it as the cooking books in africa track from mombasa and the previous theming of this game so it's i so god this is so uncomfortable uh so i have to admit something uh we have reviewed mombasa on our youtube channel um in the past and that video is not there and if you've seen that video you'll probably know why uh and uh this was a like mind you this was a long time ago and uh considering some of the videos we put out later some people will be surprised to hear this but uh, and it's it's so embarrassing with my history in in terms of what i studied in university uh you know like literally my master's was in colonialism. I just did not get it, okay? I just did not... When I played Mombasa, I just did not get... I was stupid. I understood the issues of the theming perfectly well. But I was still sort of on those lines, and I have corrected myself, and I've done work to fix that. But in the review of Mombasa, I said pretty much something along the lines of it's just a game it's fine why who cares and i yeah no a lot of people care idiot afka from 2015 or whatever it was um 
obviously wrong. And uh, some people have seen that video uh, and probably watched us grow as a channel and <laughs> quickly correct course from that opinion. Uh, but yeah, no, I was an idiot. I was wrong. I was so wrong. If you think this is just a game, it doesn't matter. You're wrong. Um, and uh, there's a lot more nuance there. No, not you're wrong as in like you're stupid. I'm stupid. I'm the idiot. Uh, but but there's just so much more nuance there. Um, and theming matters because um, games are a lot more meaningful, meaningful than people give them credit for. Games themes, even in Euro games, where the theme, you could argue, does not matter, they're still a lot more meaningful because they represent something, because there is a reason why they're like that. We are going to be putting out a video about Brass Birmingham in the very near future on our channel. And... Uh, I hope to show through that video in a in a kind of educational and and relatable and understandable and human way why a theme matters towards a game even if you don't care about it uh, why it informs the design and how it informs the design and how it sometimes makes the mechanical parts better even once again if you would argue theme doesn't matter anyway I was wrong and Mombasa, which is embarrassingly colonialist, like just completely like, hey, just go and colonize Africa. It's fine. You know, cook some books, mine some diamonds. Who cares? Right. That kind of thing. So I'm glad to see that Alexander moved away from colonialism to space colonialism, you know, and it's like, you know, I, I, it, I did make a video about colonialism in board games where I did say, hey, space colonialism doesn't bother me so much because at least it's only conceptual, it's not real. And I guess I have to hold that on myself as I discuss Skymines because I did say it doesn't bother me as much in the past publicly. So I will admit, once again, space colonialism on, on one hand doesn't bother me so much. But what I have to ask ultimately... <laughs> the NFT and Web 3.0 crypto coin stuff aside. Why is it that this design cannot be anything that isn't colonialism, right? Why is it that Alexander Pfister, who I believe has at least been listening and learning a lot and just judging from uh, his comments on our reviews and on Twitter and on social media, various places, you know, is a person who is learning about these things and trying to do better, right? I have to ask... Why is it that this design cannot be anything but colonialism? Because, okay, it's space colonialism. It's not real colonialism, right? But why can't it just move away from that? Why can't it be something that isn't exploitative? And here's, here's what ultimately proves me wrong in 2016 or 15 or whatever. If the theme does not matter, then why is this now the same theme? when the objective was clearly to change it. That was a good run. <laughs> that was good. That was really good. I was listening. Sorry, I, I wasn't thinking about anything that I was going to say. I was just listening to what you were saying. Um, yeah, we spoke about that, didn't we? Because mm. when, when we started playing, when I learned the rules and we started playing, we were like, this is the same game. It's just the, set and the same theme. It's just in space. There yeah. is no change to this. And is there something intrinsically 
exploitative about this game. About these mechanisms. About the, yeah, and these mechanisms that have to make it about taking over something. And why? Yeah, why can't it move away from that? And they are, I don't know, because I don't I'm not know. a game designer, and maybe it does, or maybe he was just trying to keep it within the same kind of idea as Mombasa without it overtly being hideous. <laughs> yeah, right. The problem that I have with space colonialism, I think, uh, and you're right, like it's just conceptual at the moment mm-hmm. there's there's no no one is actually doing that no one yeah. is claiming in fact i believe that the earth council or whatever it's called yeah. said you cannot claim a planet as yours yeah like whatever country you come from or whatever or company or yeah. company yeah well i don't even know if they cover companies but but certainly nations and states mm-hmm. cannot claim a a planet or a, a you know an asteroid or anything as theirs but my problem is i think if that ever changes if that mm. if those rules ever change then there's only a certain amount of people that are going into space and doing space work there's only a certain amount of countries and states and nations that are doing that mm. and is there then going to be the problem of certain countries going okay well you know we we run the space agency like nasa or <laughs> i don't know i don't even know another one well we can go by the expanse you know the un controls something or whatever right or the un is someone gonna then claim something that other people are left behind yeah no i mean and again the expanse is a great exploration of that idea what happens when we start colonizing our solar system right it turns out a lot of bad stuff right uh, because it does paint a bleak picture. And some people might argue, well, then, okay, isn't SkyMines doing the same? Isn't it just painting a bleak picture? Well, yeah, in a way, and maybe it's intentional, but also, like, there is no agency to tell a story within that that kind of, like, you know, exemplifies or contextualizes or, you know, it's, 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 it's agnostic of all of that, right? It's just, like, here's some space colonialism, Oh, okay, thanks. Right. And again, I'm not I'm not poo-pooing the game, you know. I'm not saying, oh, you're a horrible person for buying and playing this, because I bought it and played it, right? It's fine. You're okay. And it's a Don't great worry. game. Yeah, it's a great game, right? It's just like, why why is it like this? Why can't it be anything else? When the objective was clearly to move away from something that's horrendous, right? So but it it didn't like it just sort of made it more you know effectively speculative yeah, that's it right rather than real but it also speculates on like a pretty grim future anywho having said that as a game this was a good experience this was can i talk about the moonboard I'd love uh, you to. just very quickly uh, i like the moonboard a lot because uh so so the sorry not the moonboard, the asteroid belt board. So there is the moonboard, which is exactly like Mombasa was before. It's like the same rules. It's pretty much the same game, right? Maybe like a couple of, couple of modules here and there. There's also campaign mode, you know, solo mode, all, all kinds of, you know, n- nice little additions. Uh, uh, some promo boards that were all only available previously in a limited edition of Mombasa, which it came in a wooden box and there was only 500 printed of it. And I am still an owner of one of those. Um, evil FK. Oh, I can't. Dear. I tried selling it three times. No one wants no. it. Anyway, um, so so w- one of the promo share 
companies tracks made it into sky mines as well so you know there's 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 a little bit extra you know stuff that's collated that was released for the game uh subsequently or in like rare to find versions uh so like it's a pretty complete package uh, but also there's the asteroid belt board, which I really liked because it makes that central uh, colonizing area um, much tighter and much more cutthroat. And uh, it suited a two-player game really well. I cannot imagine how the asteroid belt plays in a four-player game. I imagine it's a bloodbath, like just not mincing words. It must be brutal because it's... It was in a two-player game. It was already so tight for space, right? No, uh, space. <laughs> um, but in in a four-player game, I just imagine it just being, oh, what is happening, you know? It's interesting that you said it feels a lot tighter because I found it a lot freer because mm. there's different paths to, to different yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to different asteroids by flying mm. a little space plane but some of them are better than others some of them give you a bonus and some don't yeah but they yeah. still cost probably the same mm. i think the reason it's tighter is because there's now like two different pieces you can put out from a company so before it was just like you put out a company's headquarters onto the map and it's there right so now there's this still these headquarters but there's also these little satellites that you need to put out to connect uh, to the next space where you could put out those like company pieces, right? So there's two types of pieces and there's like different competitions happening for each company because you're now controlling not just like the asteroid, right? But you're also controlling like the pathway to that asteroid. So it, it, it sort of splits the competition into two prongs. So I think it feels simultaneously freer, you know, because it, it's more navigable, but also there's just... Um, many more points of contention so it feels more restrictive at the same time because there's just not as many pieces that it can come out so really well designed i really enjoyed that part um there's a little like achievements kind of thing where you like if you achieve them all you get a special action i found that nice because it made you diversify a little bit more between the companies uh depending on what kind of achievements card you're gonna have out for the game it was nice i liked it it, it, it just added a little bit of juice to the game missions. yeah like yeah. they were called missions I, I i think they were sensible and well implemented and and didn't didn't offset the design in a, in a negative way you know so yeah no good additions good development uh good game enjoyable game weird theming um but you know <laughs> i feel like saying it's alexander fister what are you gonna do i want to address some comments that we've had uh, specifically about the bonus episode of the last oh. podcast episode um because they're about board game arena Right. Uh -huh. So Andy says, in your recent episode, one of your listeners wrote in saying that they had a hard time learning new games on Board Game Arena. Being gamers, my friends and I have come up with a silly solution. What we like to do is start a new game that we have not read the rules for, and then we try and figure out the rules based on the clues we are given, i.e. the iconography and the restrictions within BGA implementation. Since the rule restrictions within BGA will not allow you to complete an illegal move, we are tactically playing the game correctly. 
If we get really lost on something, we will look up it up in the rules, but generally we try to avoid it. That's an incredible game. I know a lot of people started learning games through Board Game Arena. Rather than reading a rule book or watching a video, they literally just, just create a room for themselves and try and play the game and see what they can do and what That's they can't do right? and intuit the rules that way, which is kind of like an interactive learn yourself tutorial, which is sometimes, I remember in olden times where like, uh, video games didn't always have a tutorial. It was like, here's the game, figure out how to play it, you know, by doing things. And I'm not advocating for that because it's it's annoying and frustrating and it wastes your time and it's unnecessary. But, but also, uh, like, there's something about that where it's like experiential learning because you can't make a mistake, right? So you're going to get it right. A big thumbs up you for... You can make a mistake. You can't make an illegal move. No, yeah, well, that's what I mean, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah, I bet you make a lot of mistakes, right? But for some people, that's part of the learning as well. Like learning through trial and error, you know, and like being like, well, I did it, you know, legally, but stupidly. And, you know, I'm figuring out how the game works by realizing my own, you know, kind of folly in terms of like tactical misplays and stuff like that you know i think that's that's an interesting way to learn a game i wonder if there's anything you miss by doing that though mm, like a nuance or a subtlety that, that yeah you wouldn't think to do but yeah. you can legally mm. have done it mm. i don't know it's it's really interesting though I, we we also had um something about el grande which we also discussed on the bonus episode yes uh, richard says now that you've played el grande do you think there's value to the idea of a board game canon or is such an idea gatekeeper nonsense? Well, thank you, Richard, for asking that question. Uh, Richard is, by the way, one of the people, I believe, who played that game with us on Board Game Arena, a moderator on our Discord server. And thank you very much for all the hard work that you do uh, and all the other mods as well. So uh, funny enough, uh, we the reason we played El Grande was because... Um, Dan Jalin from the Senate magazine, the editor of the Senate Man magazine, which is a UK in print uh, tabletop gaming magazine, uh, asked me to do a few hundred words uh, for the segment called The Shelf of Shame, uh, as in try, you know, take something off your shelf and play it uh, with the, you know, idea that, you know, it's sat on your shelf for a while and you kind of, you know, finally need to experience this thing. So I picked El Grande. I thought, what better, what better thing to take off your shelf that you've never played than this monumental classic all the way back from 1995. That's like Catan times, right? You know, this game is still alive, still going. Believe there is going to be a reprint for it as well. So, uh, yeah, I had a great time with it. But uh, the angle of my whole piece, uh, which you will be able to read in a future issue, uh, on on that shelf of shame segment is that I I I had someone say to me you can't be a board game reviewer if you've never played Hans Teutonica and El Grande and I was like well I'm sorry but uh, I have never played Hans Teutonica and El Grande I've played both now uh, so there's a little line that uh, shelf of shame story if you read it you'll see it at the end uh, I added a punchline that isn't quite true uh, anyway. Um, yeah, so I, the whole premise of it was like, you can't be a board game reviewer if you've never played El Grande. I've never played El Grande. I've been reviewing board games successfully for nine years. Same is true for you, I believe. Mm -hmm. Well, now we have played it. So I wrote my piece 
in that magazine. Elaine, what's your opinion? I think it depends how you see yourself. So if you play one board game and you think, that's it, I'm done, mm-hmm. I de- never want to play another board game again for whatever reason, then you're probably not someone who could describe themselves as being into board games. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think as long as you've tried a few different board games and you enjoy them and you want to discover more Mm. board games then and and even if you don't listen to podcasts even if you don't listen to reviews you know I don't think any of that really matters Mm. and I don't think the specific game matters that much I think Mm. uh if someone recommends you a game that they think you might like and you just go well I'm not doing that because I only play one game or two games and that's it that's all I ever want to play yeah. I think I think it would be harder to describe yourself as someone who is really into board games but I don't necessarily think that there is the kind of pinnacle of what a board mm. someone who likes board games should play or someone who describes themselves as a board gamer should play I I think it is gatekeepery nonsense and I, I'm gonna try and be nuanced and you know not like confrontational about this uh, imagine an alien comes down they've never heard music like how do you introduce music to them right I think the worst way to introduce music to an alien who's never heard music would be through just giving them a bunch of now that's what I call music CDs right and going well these are the hits right so you can't go wrong there's so much crap on that you know and it's it is really based on personal preference however if that alien wanted to know what was popular in any given year mm. then that might be a, a great way I to mean, do it sure but then they would miss out on the classical music they would miss out on scar they would miss out on so many other different genres but that's as good as encyclopedic knowledge you might as well not listen to it just read the wikipedia article for what was like what was the charts in that year in that year in that year you know this is suitable for someone who wants to go on university challenge not you know like learning about what good music is and i think i think the answer is the same uh what you would recommend to this person is what you like yourself right because then you could have a meaningful conversation and a meaningful connection about the things that they liked and disliked and the things that I liked and disliked, you know? Uh, I hate this song, here's why, here's the cultural context. You like the song, you like the beat, or, you know, you like you like the rhythm, or you think that bridge is just, you know, smashing. It's stuff like that, right? But that's kind of my point, that I don't think there are certain games that are the pinnacle i think Mm. it depends what kind of games you like uh just as as with music like if you only listen to scar you can still say i'm really into music it doesn't mean you have to then listen to beethoven or mozart or tchaikovsky or whoever Mm. or or even like pop or any kind of pop or rock or if you you know i think that's fine Mm. I don't think you have to have listened to any certain type of music or played any certain type of board game to describe yourself as someone who likes board games. Agreed. 100% agreed. Thank you for your questions. I have a question for you, actually, uh, related to those. Uh, that what? How do you learn board games? How do you prefer to learn board games? I am someone that um, would likes to watch a video. I, I 
I can read a rule book, that's fine, but mm-hmm. I do like to watch a tutorial video. So I want to know how everyone learns board games. Do you prefer to learn them from someone else? Do you prefer to watch a video? Do you prefer to sit down and read the rules? How do you prefer to do it? If you're thinking, core, I wish I'd heard the NPISters talking about all that stuff that was on their bonus episode, you can by joining us at patreon.com forward slash no pun included. And if you have anything to say to us, Elaine at nopunincluded.com. Just a brief note on today's bonus podcast episode that you can get access to if you pledge to us on Patreon. uh, You will be able to hear our first impressions of Undaunted Battle for Britain that we will proper cover in the next episode. So don't worry, you won't miss out. Uh, And also our first impressions of Planet Unknown, which I am not sure we're going to cover again. But there's also ins and outs, which is the games that are coming in and leaving our monthly segment on the bonus episode. So uh, that's on the bonus episode. Go subscribe to Patreon if you'd like to get access to that. There's a separate RSS feed where you can get all the main episodes and bonus episodes in one feed if you like. uh, Or you can just listen to it on Patreon. Otherwise, Elaine, what have we got coming up? we have coming up, Efka, is Marquee, which comes from publisher Bad Taste Games by designer Jake Staines and artists Ilya Baranovsky, Jake Staines again, and Mark Tuck. Uh, just a little addition to that. I believe that the second edition specifically is published by Sideroom Games, uh, which I'm not sure what the relationship is to the original edition of Marquee, but if you want to get a, a copy of the latest version, it's Sideroom Games. So, Marquis is the second game we're covering this year on this podcast uh, that is a, a solo game about being the Marquis, basically. But this time, unlike Resist, you are not the Spanish Marquis, you're the French Marquis. So, you know, we geographically traveled a little bit. Uh, about the same time period, though, you're fighting against the fascists it it's the same theme it's a solo game but it feels very different it's it's a very different game but but also kind of a similar motif try and recruit the right people get the right resources manage this sort of puzzle as you do it there's an element of chance uh just for one player and there are missions you try and complete missions if you succeed at the missions you will win the game marquee is a lot more geographic where basically you have the marquee so you have like free when you start the game with and you have this map and you have and you have this one little outpost where you're all safe but you need to travel out to various different locations uh onto the map and uh them's are bad locations because every time you put out one piece there's a policeman that you reveal and they go somewhere on the map a bad policeman a bad policeman um and and then you have to put out another figure and then another policeman appears and so on, right? So when you're putting out these figures, you're trying to hit certain locations because they are either part of your mission or they will get, help you get resources that you will need for your mission or resources that you can convert into other resources that you will need for your mission or you're trying to get like upgrades for the map so you're trying to build like maybe a second outpost second safe house yeah Yeah, maybe you're trying to print like 
uh, money, you know, and so you have like easy access to fake money and then you effectively have money, you know, like, so you can build all these like new locations that will provide you great benefits and you have a limited number of turns to try and achieve these missions. But the problem is, is that by putting out these policemen, you are sort of closing off the loop. So, and the further you travel out from this loop, right, the more chance that your piece is going to be closed off. And if it's closed off, you lose it forever. And that... Because they capture you. ...is not good. That is very bad. That means you might be on your way towards losing because you have a limited time, limited resources, and each move is dangerous. And the less people you have, the more it's dangerous. You can recruit more people, but there are only two more pieces in the box that you can recruit. But the more people you recruit, the more people you have, the more policemen there are, and the more dangerous it is. Uh, so there's like this re- really like fine balance, and and there is tension in every moment of the game. And it's really nice. And you, there is this little nice mechanism that lets you play it safe. So it lets you go, if I put people from my outpost one by one by one to the next spot, to the next spot, to the next spot, you're creating a chain that can't be broken, which means they will be able to return home. But the immediate fun thing is that the two places you can reach from your outpost going outwards into the city because there's some like fields where you can pick stuff up but i'm not talking about that right now so the the two places that you can go out to are mostly irrelevant right so you are effectively putting a piece to do nothing just to create that safety net and if you keep doing that you will lose so the game forces you to take risks and the question is when do you take that risk and so um that that is really compelling i had such a great time we played this game only a couple of times but like i got i got the gist of it because it felt very familiar uh you played it with me how did you feel about it yeah i played it through on my own to begin with uh because it is a solo game Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. when we played it together we just played it as a co-op solo game so Mm -hmm. so i wanted to play it through on my own first and i had a lot better luck i and i thought this game's not that hard because it was the introductory scenario yeah uh, and I thought well, this this wasn't so hard at all. And then I kind of just sat with you whilst you played it through, and the cards that came out and where the policemen, yeah. as you termed them, were placed, were so much harder. I, 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 I didn't. I just got lucky, I guess. Yeah, uh, no, because the struggle was real for you. I you know? got blitzed on the first round. Like I was like, oh, I'm losing my people. <laughs> oh, oh no, oh no, this is bad this is but i managed to pull out a win from that like really bad start you know and i guess that means the introductory scenario is easy because even though i got completely hosed at the beginning you know i was still like if i just inch and crawl and uh, yeah okay 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 yeah but i think that was more fun yeah like like watching you do it was more fun for me than actually mm. playing it that first time because there was so much more tension with it. Yeah. Whereas I kind of just went, oh, okay, the policeman goes here, I go here, okay, I this is fine. Uh-huh. Uh huh. 
you were like, oh no, they've come out there. Oh no, how am I going to get home now? You know, like, how do I get the second save? Should I get the second save? How should I build the resources up for that so that there's somewhere else that they can go back to? Like, it was so much more tense and so much more enjoyable. It's like watching a film almost (laughs) of of you doing it. And then we played the second scenario together and other scenarios together. Yeah. Um, and each of those, I don't, I think it was just beginner's luck that first time because the subsequent scenarios, we had to think a lot more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were very clear objectives. Like, um, I, you know, you're, you're immediately going, okay, so these are the things I'm going to need. I'm going to need to build these things and those things, and I'm going to need to acquire these things from these people and go to these locations. You know, there was an immediate plan for, because you have limited turns, right? You need to finish the mission in in a certain number of turns. You can also partway finish, uh, like you can complete one of the two missions, and that's like a draw or something like that. Um, You know, so there's like different ranges of how much you won or lost. Uh, And... And it was like, okay, no, we need to be careful and we need to think about this. And But I like that first scenario starting very poorly for me because it immediately forced me to strategize in a much more nuanced way and be like, I immediately discovered, oh, okay, I can trace safe paths and I can, you know, do all kinds of things and manipulate the system in different ways. So there's a lot of maneuverability within the system to engineer clever plays. And that's really nice. And the rules are quite simple because it is, uh, put a piece, flip a card, put a piece, flip a card, put a piece, flip a card, done, right? Right, yeah. And and again, you need to, to sequence things correctly so you get the resources that you need to fulfill the, the things. But uh, like you said, you can change resources into other resources. So do you try and get the resource outright or do you try and get a resource that might be easier for you to get and then change it into something else? There's a lot there's a lot going on to think about. Um my only complaint about this game was the the kind of there was a wooliness uh to the rules a little bit. Uh for such a simple game there was wooliness in the rule book and, and in fact there was a, a mission which I'm not going to spoil exactly but I had to look up on Board Game Geek what it actually meant because there was terminology on the card but it didn't actually refer to any of the resources that were in the game and we I was just sitting puzzling going I don't know how this works and for a game that is essentially quick and you go from one beat to the next it it just stopped the game and and I don't know if there's much of that in the rest of the scenarios but that was kind of a stopping point that I had a bit of a grumble about yeah there seemed to be some confusion between the editions as well because they changed the the rules but like or like the components in the game there's more things now right but but like it's it it did it doesn't quite conform to the rule book you know yeah there's there's just some rules weirdness and wooliness and and the rule book is is i in my opinion laid out poorly mm. it's not it's not ideal as to how it's laid out no i i will note a couple of things uh when i ordered my copy from sideroom games it was shipped from all the way from China, which isn't I like I get that it's a small publisher and that maybe that's the economical way to do it. But that felt so bad. Like the environment. Yeah, yeah. Environmentally having a game travel from China to United Kingdom just a, ah I didn't I didn't realise that when I bought that, but when I bought it, I was like, 
Oh, it's shipping from China. You know, like is it more expensive for the shipping? No, no, okay. no because okay. yeah. Anyway, so uh, that's one note. The other note, production is really good. Uh, it's it's just aesthetically really nice, really pleasing, really simple, but like it it works really well. Um, a third note, minor gripe about replayability. Uh, so there's a lot of variability in the game and definitely a lot of replayability in terms of mission difficulty and you can sort of tailor the difficulty to where you're comfortable at, different missions, you know, at, at different ranges and you can sort of combine them to create like a, a sweet spot and you can sort of finagle some of the rules to increase or decrease difficulty. A lot of that. I think, and this is true for a lot of solo games, so it's not really a criticism, it's more an observation. I think once you get really used to the mechanical systems and you want that challenge, once you go up to the very high difficulties, I think a lot of the game will be determined by chance. You will you will just complete some missions because you lucked out and you drew the right cards at the right time and you will lose some games because you didn't draw the right cards at the right time. And that's fine. It's not a criticism. It's just the nature of the beast right? But I think some people care about that. And I think it's important to mention. Yeah, I'd agree. There's not that kind of sliding scale like mm. there was in mm. Resist of points when you finish the game, like... Yeah, um, yeah shoot for higher, you know? Yeah, you want to sh- keep getting better and better and better. Yeah, I mean, in the same way you have, you know, you can choose a higher difficulty. So you are technically shooting higher in that way, right? But there is still only the grand win or a great win or whatever it's called and then there's the win draw there's not that many stages and yeah i agree with you yeah you you basically choose a difficulty that you're comfortable at and i suspect that the higher difficulties i mean it's not that you won't need to be better at the game to be able to complete you do because there are nuances to learn there's a lot of like um knowledge to be gained by multiple plays by understanding what is the effect if i you know, spend valuable mission time to build this specific upgrade building, you know? I imagine that, cha- like, changes the game drastically, right? And and where do I build it? Because there's three possible locations. There's, there's a lot to learn about this game that I think, you know, over time you will get better at it. There's, there's definitely longevity and replayability. But I think there is nothing in the game that doesn't make the extra high difficulty just not very susceptible to chance because all it can do is introduce more things to you for you to get in a slimmer amount of time i'm going to mention some more comments that we had from the bonus episode because in the last bonus episode we spoke about turing machine and the general consensus was that the rule book is more complicated than the actual game itself mm-hmm. and it's worth watching a youtube tutorial video to learn how to play big shout out to watch it played for doing a tutorial for Turing Machine, that it was just great. It was what seven minutes long or something it was like that. Short. It was short, succinct, explained the game perfectly. Uh, great, thank right, you, Rodney. There's, there's not that many rules yeah. to the game. It's just a bit mind bendy on how the game works. Yeah, it's understanding the 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 deduction twist basically. Once you wrap your brain around that, you go. I get it, right? And Rodney did a great job at explaining that twist. But I also want to mention that um, about guessing it right on the first time, because we mentioned in our episode... In our bonus episode, In our bonus episode, that I accidentally hit on the right number 
immediately. Just First guess. Out just, of chance. Yeah. And Brock says, from the discussion about Turing Machine, it reminded me of the last time we played Cryptid when one of the players got their first guess right due to sheer happenstance. It had never happened before or since. And it was one of those moments where everyone just stood up and backed away in awe. Unfortunately, that player has never wanted to play again because they feel they've beaten the game and don't want to sully their record. Oh, my God. (laughs) Which I just thought was incredible. Yeah, I mean, I share something with that player is that I also never want to play Cryptid again, but for completely different reasons. I just didn't enjoy Cryptid that much. Um, I I remember someone telling me about a game they had where it's just like, uh, they all set up the game. uh, The first player looked at it for like five minutes or something and went, it's there. And it was, and that was it, right? Uh, but accidentally or just no they knew it out. like they, they it yeah out. just they, they just worked it out i once did it with guess who do you, yeah. you know the game yeah guess who? i know yeah, guess okay. who, yeah. and i've never played that game again since so i i did spoil that game for myself but it's only guess who so it's all right but i was playing with my dad mm-hmm. and so this was some years ago right yeah, yeah, yeah. and he put up the uh, card mm-hmm. and i went is it that one and he said yes <laughs> And that was the game, I did, right? Yeah, that was the yeah. game. I didn't say, like, do they have a moustache? Yeah. Do they have glasses? Whatever, whatever. You just went, is it that one? Is it that one? And I don't know why I picked it. It was just random, right? Yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. absolute random luck. Uh, and Incredible. I've never played that game again. So twice so. you've done it in your life. Once with Turing so. Machine. And which is, let's let's face it, in Turing Machine, a lot less probable because it's a number, it's a three-digit number and the digit ranges are between one and five. So, you know, one, three, five, four, two, one, you know, and any of those are legal. So you picked a random number and that number happened to be the secret number that that we were decoding, right? I would disagree with that though because in guess who i literally just picked a random one in turing machine it was based on the cards that were out all right Uh, okay okay elaine but and also i will play turing machine over and over and over again that will not stop me ever playing that game again no i know you've explained that that you know oh you know i looked at the cards and i picked the number based on that but all, all the cards say well here's some variables you could have picked either way if a card says this number could be lower equal or higher than free you know sure you you could you you could pick a low low number that's lower than free and you could pick a number that's equal to free or you could pick a number that's higher than free but it's still within the range of one two three or four and five which is the same as a random number i think you're knocking yourself down i think you made a tremendous guess (laughs) first go own it i don't think guesses are anything to be proud of honestly no but it's a cool moment right but not guesses it is a cool moment that's that's very true like when you flip a coin and it lands on the edge right yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah. Um, an urban caver just to wrap this up uh, says of cryptid i had a similar experience but maybe on my eighth play it now feels solved to me yeah there you go yeah that's all the games if you have anything to say about any of them, don't forget to drop me an email, elaine at nopunincluded.com, or if you have any general questions or comments. Franco says, 
I just want to say that I've really been enjoying the podcast, the reviews, fun banter, thoughtful discussions. I actually rarely listen to podcasts. I used to listen to the radio while working, which had plenty of shows that later added podcast versions, but I kept listening on the radio. But this podcast has been a nice way to start my weekend mornings. Ah, what thank a lovely you so comment. Much. Yeah. You're 10 shilling note is in the post, Franco. Thank you for that. On the next episode, we'll be talking about Autobahn, Undaunted Battle of Britain and Hamlet. But Efka, what was the game of this episode? I think it has to be Skyminds. Uh, contentious theme, obviously. It's just why? But, but the game itself is still really great. And with that, why don't you say goodbye, Elaine? Goodbye, Elaine. Goodbye, Elaine. <laughs>